It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Shuttle Drive. In today's episode, I have none other than the legend himself, Mr. Corin Addison. I've always like wanted to talk to him on a good podcast setting like this, so we managed to get our schedules lined up here. So yeah, let's um, let's get into it now. So um, hey, Corin, what's up, buddy? Uh, good to be here. And uh, speaking of legends, you become one of well, one in your own right. So we're both happy. Well, we're working away at it, huh? <laughs> Yeah, um, Corin, you know, we'll get into it. You know, I won't take up too much of your time here. One of the one of the things, you know, you know, me and you have actually talked about this in the past, too. And I've talked to a lot of other people about it, too, is um, when we, you know, there was a little thing on, you know, Facebook about starting people out in creek boats. And when you start people out, new paddlers out in, in I get a lot of questions myself because I paddle a lot of different boats. I get a lot of questions and I'm kind of like a mix. I kind of like feel the person out, like what they're wanting to get out of paddling. If they're just wanting to be taken care of down the river and not really progress that much, like I just want to get out and float around and just kind of like, I'm like, do you want to really progress or just kind of like be taken care of? Usually I'll suggest those people in Creek boats, you know, Jackson Z threes um, or something like that to say, Hey, but this is what you're going to get out of. And then if they say, you know, I want to really push and drive, have a lot of fun. That's where I'll go more like a uh, Waysport diesel or a remix or something along a half slice, like a ripper or rewind. I go that route if they're wanting to get more progression. So I just wanted to bring you on and kind of get your opinion on this. You know, I know you, you definitely have some opinions, you know, whether we agree with them or not, but Hey, don't we all, but I want to hear your opinion. So Corin, you go ahead and take it away, man. I know you just released a new boat, the, the soul booster. And um, so feel free, just whatever, man. Yeah. Um, you know, you, I think you really hit the nail on the head with your opening statement there, which is it really depends on what people want to get out of entering the sport of whitewater kayaking. Um, I think to assume that people who are getting into the sport know what they want to get out of it is, I, I think that's a leap. Um, they might have their own ideas of what they think they're going to want to get out of it as they come into the sport. And that, that might be true based on other things that they do. You might have someone who's been skiing for 25 years and they're still on green slopes and easy blues and they've owned a mountain bike since mountain bikes came out, but they only ever ride on dirt roads and they know they never get beyond these points in the activities that they do. Mm-hmm. And so they have a good idea of what, you know, what is appealing about whitewater and they just want to be outside and they want to be with their friends and they want to get splashed in the face and enjoy the sunshine. And they're not going to be the first people on the water in the beginning of the season or the last people out. And definitely I would agree with you that putting someone like that 
in either a creek boat um, or a, a, a bigger river runner. Uh, and by bigger river runner, um, you know, I would, you know, like modern boat would be, for example, the Dancer, uh, or otherwise you've got, a, I would consider the wasteful diesel, uh, or maybe the Mamba, the Dagger Mamba, as a yeah. good example of a lot of people actually creaked in that boat because um, it was very good at it, but it was a little bit more sporty than, say, the Nomad, you know, just for the oh, yeah, boat sure. of that era. Yeah. Okay? Um, and I think that, that that's a good thing to do. Um, but for most people who, again, ex- barring the exceptions of that guy that, you know, knows that they want to get into waterfalls or the person who's yeah. like, especially if you're dealing with kids, who immediately they're going to be drawn to ICF freestyle, you know. But I think when you're talking about adults, people who they're already adults when they take up whitewater kayaking, I think it's safe to assume that they don't really know what it is about whitewater kayaking that they're going to want to do and where they're going to want to go. And I don't feel that putting them in a creek boat is uh, maybe except for the first 30, 40 minutes where it's just confidence inspiring, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it does them any, any, any favors, uh, and the way I, you know, one example that I've used is it's like someone says they want to learn to ride, to ride motorcycles and you don't know if they want to do motocross oh, or yeah. street bike or Harley or whatever it is. Okay. They don't know what it is about motorcycles. They might have an idea, but they don't know what, what, what they want to learn. And you go, oh, well, you know what? The easiest kind of motorcycle to learn on is a three-wheeler Can-Am. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That is it true. Is. <clears throat> That's a good okay. analogy. But you're not going to learn. I mean, you're going to learn how the handlebars work. You're going to learn how shifting works. You're going to learn about dealing with uh, uh, the fear and having to pay attention to cars around you because you yep. don't have a caucus around you. But you're never going to learn how to turn the bike on edge. You're never going to learn how yeah, what kind of lines you need to take on a you know on the road or on a track if you're on a three wheeler. So yeah, sure, it's confidence inspiring and you feel safe and you feel good. And if you're in your 50s and you decide that you want to have wind in your hair, a Can-Am is a great option, okay? Yeah, But it's sure. not a great option for someone who actually wants to learn how to ride a motorcycle. You're actually doing them a disservice. Better for them to feel wobbly for 30 minutes when they first get on a motorcycle and progress from there. So that's an analogy that I use. Um, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's a good analogy, especially someone that rides a bike too. You know, I've rode motorcycles and I know you have too. So yeah. Yeah, you know, so... Um, and you know, so I don't teach as much as, uh, as uh, a dedicated school, but I've been teaching kayaking since I was 13, 14 years old, yeah. my dad's operation, you know? Um, and you know, with my, my retail store now, we have a, you know, a kayak, a, a school in the store, you know, we do maybe a hundred people a year, uh, there. And, um, what I find is that, yes, when you put people in a creek boat for the first, you know, 30 minutes or so, most of the time is confidence inspiring. But by the end of a one hour lesson, you already started to see a drift, a separation of skill sets, even with people who are not naturally sportive, you know, that, that person mm-hmm. that I just described earlier on who, you know, they've been skiing for 30 years, but they're still on blue slopes. Um, even that kind of person, they learn that the boat responds to weight shifts forward and back and side to side, mm-hmm. and they don't learn that in the creek boats. And while they might catch an edge every now and then, and it might spook them or flip them out, if they're not someone who's easily spooked, it'll give them a little A, but they learn from that. Mm-hmm. And I find that even in the first hour, they progress, but particularly after the first hour, 
they really do progress much faster and they become much better paddlers. I'm not talking about putting them in like a full slice. Like <clears throat> we're not yeah. talking about an F-bomb or an ozone or what's it, the superfuge or whatever the new thing is from. Oh, the supernova, yeah. Supernova, right. Yeah, uh, yeah, that, yeah that's supernova. Um, you know, I'm not talking about that, all right? Yeah. Um, or an ICF freestyle boat, you know, the, the, the Rockstar 5 or, you know, whatever, you know. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about a boat that has enough volume to be to sit on top of the water but it has enough edge to where you can use it and if you do it a little bit wrong it goes hey um still confidence inspiring mm-hmm. you know like now like the boat that i put people in is the disco oh wow it's, okay. not ideal. it's not ideal it's a little bit short it's a little bit slow but it's forgiving it's got enough volume it sits on top yeah. of the water uh, the back edge is not grabby they're not getting flipped over all the time they'll get back ended and stuff yeah it's a short, you know um and uh you know when you're putting people on class two easy white water you know in the southeast you know let's say for example you know um the nantahala you know there's nothing on there that's going to back end or a disco so it's fine you know maybe if you were learning on the um you know on the on the Akoi, for example then yeah yeah you know, so, um, but, um, and I just find that they progress faster and they, they become not only better paddlers, but they enjoy the paddling experience more. Um, and everybody's different, you know, um, but that's been my yeah. experience. Yeah. What, what's your opinion on like, um, yeah, I agree. Like something like that. I definitely agree with you. What's your opinion of something like a half slice, say like a gonzo or a ripper or a rewind or something? Yeah, I think it takes, um, you know, all of those boats. I mean, they're lots of fun. I mean, they're not, I mean, there's a reason why they're selling so well, because they're mm-hmm. a hell of a lot of fun. All of these new half slices are really, really good fun. Um, but I, I think that the sterns on the things are a little too grabby okay. for a lot of people who are learning. Um, you know, uh, the Gonzo has more volume in the stern than the rippers and... Uh, for example, the rewind yeah. and books like that, but it has more vertical sidewalk. So it's just as grabby for different reasons than, um, you know, some of the other boats out there. Um, even though it has more volume in, in the back of the boat, I just don't think half slices. I mean, obviously there are those guys that are half slice to work for. And it's particularly if you're younger, you know, if you're an accomplished skier, snowboarder, skateboarder, um, you know, you do other sports, maybe surfer or, or paddleboarder or whatever, and then you're moving over towards kayaking, yeah. you'll probably learn to deal with the half size very, very quickly and you'll progress through that. But I think, again, when you take your average person, I mean, if you look at kayaking overall and you uh-huh. look at the 100,000 paddlers in the world who paddle whitewater, you know, around the world, some of whom have been in the sport for 40, 50 years and some of whom have been in the sport for two, three years, you know, um, and you took an average overall, I think you'd probably find that the average skill of them, by average, I mean probably 60% or more of the are people who they're at best class three paddlers and they never yeah. get beyond that. A half slice is a lot of boat for, you know, with an exception of the exceptions of like the RPM, which was so successful in its day. Yeah. Um, that's kind of what I started out in was an RPM. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, and it had a super slicey tail on the thing. But also, you got to remember where people were learning in those boats. You know, it was the Koei and the well, the Koei, but the more the Natahela, Natahela, <laughs> yeah, and, you know, things like that. Where yeah, it was there, it was grabby, but it was such an easy boat to roll that it kind of compensated for the fact that the stern was grabby. You know, planing holes boats are a little bit more difficult to roll than the round cigar shaped boat, 
but you get more out of it. You know, um, yeah. you know, we all know that we don't have to hash the, the, the planing boat versus displacement hull uh, type boats. So yeah, I think there's, you know, there's a place for the half slice with, and I don't want to hop on beginners because I think you're only a beginner for a very short period of time. Really, we're talking mm -hmm. about intermediates. You know, you, you progress beyond beginner very rapidly. And, you know, beginners don't buy boats. Intermediates buy boats. Because even if you are a beginner, you take a class, you take a two-hour class and buy a boat. And rent a boat or something, yeah. You know, but even if you bought a boat off coming out of your class, very quickly, you're an intermediate paddler, you know, very, very rapidly. The question is, is do you progress beyond that intermediate paddler, you know, to an advanced intermediate or even advanced? Um, and as I said, a majority of paddlers never do. They remain an intermediate or advanced intermediate paddler their whole lives, their whole paddling career. That's right. Yeah, I, I, I believe that. I agree that I think a majority that I've seen is always right in that two, three plus range. And they just stay there. I'm, I know tons of people that just stay in that range and they never want to go past it. And, and they they're really, happy. And they're happy. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah, what attracted them to kayaking wasn't to be scared. It was just to be outside. Yeah, it's like the, the most they're going to do is a Koei and probably Teleco, and that's it. And I'm like, hey, more power right. to you. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, hey, more. they're having a great time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, there are going to be those people who get in the hot slides. There are going to be people who get in the ICF freestyle boat. Um, there are going to be people who get in the creek boat who realize very quickly that, you know, they, they did the Teleco and they loved it. They want more, you know. Um, yeah. They're going to be those people. But for the majority of people, um, I don't think that's the case. And there's this whole classification of boat that was very prevalent 20 years ago to about 10 years ago, which is the playful river runner. You know, yeah. it was, um, you know, you had the Gus and the Hoss and you had the yeah. Booster and you had... Uh, Dagger had the GT series. Exactly, GT, the GT. Yeah. And then even more recently, Jackson had the Fun Runner. You know, I remember the, the Fun Runner, yeah. Now, the Fun Runner stopped selling. You know, Clay made a good point. So Clay Wright made a good point the other day. And somebody asked him, well, why did Jackson stop making the fun run? And he goes, well, generally manufacturers stop making boats right after people stop buying them. That's true. Uh, you know, <laughs> you don't want a whole inventory of those things. You know, but was it because they were pushing the antics? Or was it because people really stopped buying their fun runner? Or did they push people into the antics and into the Z3? Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, okay, the GT is a very, very old boat, you know. Um, and then what is it? Was the Inner Zones? I think it was from Piranha. That Piranha were, had that in the Zone series, yeah. Yeah, you know, we're seeing zones. I mean, obviously, all the boats back the river, the playful river on his boats back then, they also had very low volume bows, um, which made them difficult to wave trains and they made them tippier than they needed to be because you had the bow loading up as well as the stern. They had low knees, which made them uncomfortable and mm -hmm. your feet were crammed. And you know, so there were, there were problems with those boats. Um, but they, I think they, they produced a generation of paddlers who for a brief period of time, like a 15-year period of time, were much more proficient than the group who learned in the dances and the group who have since learned in the creek boats. With the creek boats are the, are the modern dances, right? They're the yeah, modern pretty much, yeah. version of, of, of that boat. Okay. So um, there was this generation, you know, 1990 to 2005, uh -huh. know, um, that learned to paddle, who relative to the before and the after have a much higher skill set and much greater understanding of water dynamics and how their boats work at the water and what they can do in a boat than the generations before and after. And I think a lot of that has to do, not all of it, but I think a lot of it has to do with what they learned in and what they paddled and what they bought. Where, the, where they started, you think, is where that all goes back to, where you started? Yeah, 
because they learned they learned in planning whole boats. So, okay, so by by the by the mid nineteen nineties, everybody kind of had something plenty holeish, even if it wasn't mm-hmm. what we consider plenty whole boat today. You know, you have the perception of women whiplash, which had a plainish center, yeah, just basically, and you had the uh, uh, the stubby and the kinetic, you know, and the Godzilla. And you know, Dagger Cookie had the vertigo that had a real painting hole on it. Yeah. Uh, Necky, Rip and Jive, the Riot Hammer, you know. So um, people got into these uh, uh, painting hole ish or painting hole boats. Um, they had edges. You could use the edges. They weren't punishing. I mean, the Fury was punishing, but the other painting hole boats weren't punishing um, if you learned in them. If you came from the Dancer era and you got into those boats, you struggled because it was so different. But if you learned in those boats, wasn't a struggle um and you know because it's all you knew that's what you knew it's what you learned you learn immediately that boats don't roll they go plunk, 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 which is what yeah like a like too. a box almost kind of like yeah, yeah um and you learned that you could be sideways in the current and the boat would just slip rather than it would catch and flip or catch and move you downstream you know um and that was sort of the end of the era of the rpm type boat you know um even though we've seen you know the Brop and the, you know, boats like that come back with, you know, and the, uh, the Chile and, you know, you've got displacement whole boats that have come back in the hospital. Yeah. But it's for a different reason. Um, and they've, those designers have said, well, we just don't care about wave performance. And you see a lot of that coming out of Europe where they just don't have waves. So they don't care no. <laughs> panels on a wave. They don't care, you know, because they don't have any. So they're, you know, displacement whole boats tend to paddle down a river more fluidly than a planing whole boat. It's a more fluid, graceful sensation. Um, it just is. So why put a planing whole boat um, that's designed to do something that you don't have access to, you know? Um, so I think that, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say we want to go back and put people back into those boats from 15 years ago. They had their issues. Yeah, for sure. But, um, I think that it's unfortunate that the the and it's not the market it's honestly it's the designers and the manufacturers have become so i think tied up tunnel vision and we've done this before mm-hmm. when the super slice you know the triple x's and the dominatrixes and you know early these, 2000s yeah yeah when these super super slice boats came along and we were absolutely focused and convinced <laughs> that's what everybody wanted to do and it's all we produced um you know, uh, and we all got tunnel vision. And when it wasn't that, it was running the biggest, hardest, meanest, gnarliest waterfalls. Yep. Um, which is, again, we've kind of gone back towards that now. And so you're either building boats to go out and win the world championships in an ICF events in freestyle or to go and beat Jane Jackson running the craziest waterfall in the world. And the vast majority of people don't fit in either of those. No, they're right you, dead center. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, the half slices, which... People go, oh, well, the half slices kind of address that. And I don't think they do because the tails are too, it's too much for most people. Um, yeah. For like, for like completely green type people. I think the half slices are great for those intermediate to advance that are wanting to really like come out of something, say like a, you know, like a remix or booster or something. Then they want to go to this level. That's my opinion of a half slice. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would say you're an advanced intermediate. You know, I use my wife as a good example of this. You know, she's a, an intermediate paddler. She's been paddling for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not very good. She never will be very good. She can't roll. And that's, she can't roll because of a medical condition, which she can't be inverted. So okay. she does slip over, she swims. 
Um, but she has a good skill set. She can paddle a class three plus on a sup on a paddleboard. Um, she's an accomplished surfer. She's surfed in Hawaii. She's yeah. very comfortable in the water. She's an accomplished snowboarder and skier. So she's a good athlete. Um, but she's an intermediate paddler. And, you know, I've put her in um, the gonzo. And it's, it's, there's no reward. There's no reward for having that grabby tail. She doesn't get anything out of it because in her case, she can't roll. In the case of other people, they've got bad rolls, which is a lot of people have bad rolls. Mm-hmm. Then you've got all these people who don't like to be inverted or they get spooked when they get inverted. Yeah, true. And then if you're, you know, if you're a beginner paddler and you're learning, especially if you're learning in the West Coast where the water's cold. You um, don't want to be upside down. <laughs> you don't want to be upside down. You don't want to be swimming. Um, but even if you're not, you know, if you swim 10 times on your, on your 5K or, you know, 10K river trip, it's, it's tiring and it's irritating. Um, so, yeah, again, there are those paddlers who will come out of a, you know, a, 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 what I would call a playful river runner and be like, yeah, I want to start squirting, you know, like crazy and, and I want to get into a half slice. And, yeah, and absolutely there are those people out there. Um, but, you know, I, I went from my wife being in a gonzo and I stuck her in a fluid spice which she really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, I put her in a booster, which she really liked. Booster 60. You know, she's 130-something pounds. So the booster 60 was big enough on her to where the tail wasn't, you know. The, the riot booster. The, the, the older riot booster, correct? The older riot booster. The original booster. Yeah, okay. 60, yeah. So it's, it's too big for her to squirt, but the tail's small enough for her to pivot turn. Yeah. So drop the tail and free the bow and turn the boat, but not squirt it. Um, not so much with the fluid spice, it's a bit big. Um, put her in a Dragorosi pintail, mm-hmm. um, which also had that volume behind the cockpit, kind of like the Gonzo, had that volume behind the cockpit, but it had more flare to the sidewall. It was a little bit shorter. The Gonzo is 8.6. That's a lot of boat out there. That's yeah. the thing with the hop slices. It's a lot of boat. You consider the size of the waves that most people are learning to surf on. You know, think about the Nantahada, What's that classic surf wave called? It's a surf spot. Isn't it called surf spot? Corey Rapid or something. There's a something like that. It's like halfway down the run. Yeah. It's this tiny little wave. A nine foot boat or an eight and a half foot, it's huge in that wave. Yeah. And I see a freestyle boat, it's it's irritating to paddle. You know, a six foot boat, they're not fun to paddle around. They're like a so, box. <laughs> yeah. So again, you know, the booster at seven two, the fluid spice at uh, I think it was like seven four or seven five. Um you know, you got these boats in that range where they're short enough to fit in these tiny waves. They're long enough to have some speed. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of size of wave, look at the number of people who paddle the Nantahala and they just kind of float down the river and they might do one or two surfs at the surfing spot and then they move on downstream. They're not going to play in the hole at the bottom below, you know, uh, Lesa Wessa. You know, the, the yeah, they don't even, the freestyle hole. A lot of people won't even, they take out way before it. Right. You know, they're not even going to go in that. Yeah. You know, um, so again, you go to the Akoi and you've got that play, you got staging eddy below Grumpy's, you got staging eddy, and then you've got that little wave in staging eddy. People play in that, a nine foot boat, that's a lot of boat. It's, it's hard, but yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, but you've got to have a skill set. Yeah. If, a seven foot boat, yeah. we'll, fit in, you know, we'll, we'll fit in that. So I, you know, I feel like most people are better served, and I use my wife as a good example of that, and then of course all the people that I teach. And now I'm putting them in discos, and it does work, at six and a half feet, it's better than a, an ICF boat. But it's still short. It's still slow to move around the river, you know. It's yeah. It's, it, to really get the most out of a disco, you got to have a decent skill set. And 
it works for an intermediate and a beginner, but it's not ideal. You know? Yeah. So, so it comes in at six foot six, which by today's standards, as a, far as a full on whole boat, that's kind of big. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It is that's, kind of long and it doesn't, you know, it, it has more speed than a, you know, than a, a, a just, I'm using the rock star as an example, you know, just because it's easy, but it has more speed than that or the jet or things like that, but it's still a very small boat and it's okay if you're on really small stuff. Um, you know, but as soon as you need to move around the river, it's not great. Um, yeah, so, 20, 25 and a half inches wide. So, yeah, it's stable, you know, it's stable and it's got the yeah. volume, you know, it's 58 gallons on a boat that's six, six, you know, so it's got a lot of volume in it. Um, and, uh, it's a pretty forgiving boat. It's a very forgiving boat. It's just not long enough. It's just, it's just a little slow for people to make ferry moves across fast water or if they need to move around the river it's just a little bit slow to paddle around for people with inefficient forward strokes tentative strokes um your classic intermediate you know yeah and it's full-on planing it's full-on planing but it's got very flared sidewalls so it's very yeah, i see that you know it's very very forgiving boats um it's it's a great boat if you took the disco and just slapped six inches on each end You've got the speed, you know, you could, you could change nothing else. You could just yeah. literally, where the boat comes down to the ends and just keep it going with, with slicey ends on the thing, if you like. And which is kind of what the Dragon Rossi pintail is a little bit. It's that kind of shape. Of yeah, I've, I've seen the pintail, yeah. Um, you know, so, um, and I, I just, yeah, it, it's, it's just strange to me, even though I understand it. I mean, I was as much to blame as anybody else back in the 90s and the early 2000s uh, for, being so completely focused on freestyle and thinking that everybody who got into the sport wanted to be a freestyle paddler. They kind of And then, you know, you get, you get around 2010 and everybody's going to be a, a creek boater, you know? Um, yeah. I'm as guilty as everybody else in that. But, you know, with the stall, with my wife now paddling, she's, you know, my son is getting better and better at eight years old. He's in solid class three. He's getting better. I realized the kind of boats that he needed and the boats I was designing for him. And if you take those boats and you scale them up to an adult size, you end up with a booster. And that's, that's, um, let's go ahead and take a look at that. So, so the booster is something, you know, I think you've had, you've had this in composite already, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I've had it for a year and a half in composite. So I made one for my wife because she was in the disco and it was just too slow to move around. She couldn't get across some currents. She couldn't get from any onto some waves where you've got to bust over a diagonal. But once she was on a little wave or something, the disco was a good boat. It let her get away with murder. She could do anything she liked to the boats. Um, so the disco was a really good foundation for her, but it was just too slow to paddle around. And so I made her a composite version of, the, uh, of what is now the booster. And I started with the booster. I put her in a booster and she paddled it and she liked it. But it, the knees were low and the nose rocker was low and the bow was loading up a little bit. And so, you know, I started with the booster, but I immediately started to make some changes to it. And the other thing as well is the stern rocker is fast, the original booster, but it was a little, like it would push you into the wave too much and then, and then the low bow rocker would drive the nose in. You know? Yeah, those and, lower bow rocker bows back in the day. You do something, you come out and you do like a hard kick rocker right at the tip on a mm -hmm. lot of yours, yeah. I'm just yeah. noticing that on the booster, it comes out and it just goes like a, a hard kick. It's not like a progressive rocker. 
Is am I right. correct? So on I've that? done that a little bit on my playboats, and the reason is I've carried my water line for paddling speed, but then I've got the tip out of the water so that you can go down a wave with an air brace and the boat just goes, mm, yeah, you know, and it doesn't yeah. plow into the bottom. But if you make the rockable progressive, you know, kind of like what what Parada's done with the new Ripper 2, where mm-hmm. the rocker, the bow rocker starts right under the seat, which I tend to do with my creek boats. It starts yep. right under the seat. And the idea there is when you're paddling is that nose is high and dry all the time, whereas that kick rocker is going to be a little bit more slappy in waves when you're paddling down. You know, there's no, there's no free lunch. Everything you do, there's a trade-off on everything you do. Yeah, everything you do has a trade-off. And I just found that on, on something like I did it on the glide and it, was very, it worked very, very well on the glide. And so I carried it over to the new booster um, where I try to keep that waterline, that flatter waterline section through the center of the boat for paddling speed and then scoop up the tail a little bit so that the back would drop a little bit on a wave and help lift the nose and then put all that nose yeah. rocker so you could air brace through everything and be fine, you know? Yeah, I'm seeing and a that. lot of people do that. They air brace yeah, you, you've definitely, that's become a lot of your style right there on your, on your boats. Yeah, way how, how that kind of like small kick rocker right in the tips right there. Yeah, and thing- it's, it's on the play boats. It's not all the play boats, the, the, the river play boats. Um, you know, my creek boats tend to, to rock it early, um, you know, from right under the, basically right under your knees. Yeah. Um, uh, and you like the H3 went, not the H3, the Z3 went a different direction where, you know, they carried their rocker very, very flat. Yeah. So you see on the glide there how I carry the, yeah. you know, the planing surface way far forward. And then it's all up in the nose of the boat, you know? Yeah, it actually is like past almost where the feet are. Yeah, it's about yeah. where your feet are, and then it starts a hard rocker kick right there, and it stays very planing. Um, yeah, man, that's that. Um, one thing I've been wanting to ask you: you've got away from doing the 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 hexagon pattern. Is that something that you just don't want to do anymore, or is that just was it because of molding, or is it just something you just don't feel like you need to do anymore? You mean you the texturing, I mean? like the texturing on the bottom of the box? Yes, the hexagon yeah, so, pattern that was on the older Trickster uh, Dominatrix, yeah, right, yeah. and all that. Well, it started off as dimples, and then it went to like that. That uh, we had different kinds of shapes that we played with. You know, the glider was a cross hatch, and the grind was a cross hatch. And then we went to more of a sort of concentric circles with yeah. sort of bleeding lines out. And so, you know, a lot of this was water flow testing that we were doing of what would help the boat do what we wanted to do. And a lot of this had to do with the fact that um, prototyping was a more cumbersome and uh, slow process back in the day because oh, for sure, you yeah, you couldn't do it on a computer. Everything you did was by hand. You had to shape something. Then you had to make a physical boat. Then you had to paddle it. And so most of the time you do one or two prototypes and you go to production, right? So the development of rocker profiles, sidewall profiles, edge shapes, all that was very, very slow. It was over multiple generations of boats. The glide was an exception to that where we did 13 prototypes of the glide, um, which was very unusual. But it took us <laughs> that two is years very unusual. Bring, it took us two years to bring that to market from when we started it to when it finally came to market, you know? Um, so, and so the rocker shapes and the sidewall shapes and the shape of the edges, where that first edge was, how wide the painting section was, how much lift we had on the secondary edge, whether it was a flat to a flat to a sidewall to a curved sidewall to a flat sidewall, whether we had a scoop, did that scoop then curve back down or did it, did it curve up and then go flat or did it go 
out at an angle and then turn to go flat to turn back down. Then it had a little bit of a square part on it. So all these things that various people were trying and doing things, it was all very thumb sucky where you would do one on a boat, you would try it, you put the boat in production, and then you would try an evolution of that theory, you know, on the next boat. And yeah. Wave Sport tended to hook their rails down. Piranha would kind of go up and then go flat and had like a little flat section on the outside. And Dagger kind of did that. Yeah, Dagger did more like when Malayal was doing it. He almost had the same edge on everything. It would just come out and step. It was right. Like so step. Was, and I was doing that in the early days of right, where it was flat, turn, flat, turn, sidewall. Um, there you go. And, and they, weren't, they weren't that loose by today's standards. Mm. And so what I found was that if you broke up the surface, the idea of the edge is to break up the tension on the water, to allow it to release, okay? That's what that edge does. Yes. It allows the water moving under the boat to separate from the boat, and that's what makes it skid-free and slide-free. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks it's for carving, but not really. A round rail will carve more efficiently than a hard edge, unless it's really on edge and you're really driving it in. You know, if you see pictures and videos of me, how aggressively on rail I am in my cobs, if you're carving with a 20, 30-degree boat angle lean, those edges would be better off round than angled. They okay. don't really help you for carving if you don't really engage them. It's for release. And what those textures on the bottom of the boats did was they pre-released the water as it moved under the bottom of the boat. It would already start to release from the boat before it got to the edge. And so those things were compensating for the fact that our edge shapes were not that good. Okay. That, that's, what those, that's what that helped with a lot. That's yeah. what that helped with. Once we started getting into computers... Like the Glide, I did 38 prototype version on computer. Yeah, that was something I've been wanting to ask you. I think we had talked about this before. You don't really have to prototype nowadays because you have a lot of fluid dynamics type software. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's always good to paddle a boat, right? It's always yeah, good for to sure. Paddle a boat. Real world, yeah. Yeah, but usually one prototype is all it takes because you'll do, you know, a dozen or more prototypes on computer with computer simulation. Then build a boat, paddle it, Keep the stuff that you like, the stuff that you go, oh, this isn't quite doing what I thought it was going to do. Again, you go back to computer simulation, and then you go straight to the mold maker. And they come out at 99% of what you wanted it to be, mm-hmm. and that 99% is way, way, way better than anything we were doing in the past because it was so complex and expensive and time-consuming. And a lot of the time back then as well, as a boat was a chopped-up version of a previous boat. Yeah. The disco... We took the glide plug and cut the ends off it. That's to make how the it disco. Started. To make the disco, right. And in fact, the first disco, we didn't even take the plug. We took a glide and cut the ends off it yeah. and <laughs> welded up the ends. You know? um, in uh, what is that film that we did? Uh, was it? Uh, I think searching, it was searching for the G-spot? Was either searching for the G-spot or maybe? No, it actually wasn't. It was searching for the prostate. This video oh, searching yeah, for the better. prostate. Um, <laughs> Where I mean, like this purpley reddish color, like this wine burgundy colored uh, yeah. disco. It's a glide. It's literally a glide. It's so a glide that we, you you guys cut the end off and welded shut. Yeah, well, I cut the ends off it and then I welded a plate on the yeah. end. I didn't, just, I didn't just pinch it. I welded it. You know. But yeah, but basically, and then we then took the 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 um, uh, the glide plug and chopped it up, and then started to make the changes. And the changes were pretty radical. Obviously, when you look at the final disco, they were Yeah, this was back, for everybody listening, this was back more in hand-shaping days. 
yeah. you would have a like a foam plug with Bondo and all that. And you yeah. would alter that plug just for people listening when he says he chopped a plug up. It's a it's a shape of the boat in a foam and usually Bondo and all this. And you could shave it down and then pull fiberglass halves off and get a prototype. Exactly. Yeah. So it wasn't until the air, the air, the riot, the, air. Boost, the riot air, the yeah. booster, the turbo that we started doing the basic design on CAD. And we would print out cross sections and we were those the first, was that your first experience with CAD when you got into like that? Well, no, we would, cause we, for example, we would scan like the hammer. We scanned the, after we built the plug, we scanned it. And then we did some fluid dynamics testing of the scan, but also fluid dynamics back then analysis was very rudimentary. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. I just had probably was, water, a little diagram of water. It was linear. It was linear flow. Um, or turbulent at best, you know, and it was only turbulent in certain, you could only do so much. You couldn't yeah. do any chaotic flow. Even now chaotic flow is, you can't really test chaotic flow yeah. under, <laughs> under a surface. It's not, it's, even now the programs aren't that good. But, um, but the, those other boats there, what we started to do is we started to print out cross sections, cutting three inch slices of foam, putting them together on a, a beam um, or for example, with the, uh, uh, the, uh, the scorpion actually at, at, uh, Savage was actually a wood strip. Yeah. Um, the old wood strip taze. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually paddled the wood strip. So I wood strip, we did, you know, the drawing, but it was not, it was on computer. It was all done by hand, but it mm-hmm. wasn't foam and bondo. It was a wood strip that I then paddled the actual wood strip with fiberglass on it. And then once I, you know, then I cut it up and I made some changes to it and then we made a mold. Uh, a fiberglass mold, and we then made a fiberglass prototype. Mm-hmm. Actually, Andy Bridge made the the, um, the fiberglass boats of the Scorpion. But uh, you know, um, so now we can do so many evolutions in, of the prototyping and the holes and the, the edge shapes and all the rails and the rockers. You can move these things around, bring it back into simulation, move it around, bring it back into simulation, and there was no longer any need to pre-release the water off the bottom of the boat. So you go, well, but why not pre-release the water? It doesn't, doesn't hurt you to pre-release the mm-hmm. water off the bottom of the boat. Well, this is true. Except that those things hang up on rocks. They're more susceptible to damage. So well, I always, figured they were, I always figured they were a nightmare to, to mold. No, no, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't help or it wasn't easier or harder to mold. Like molding wise, you know, you've, you, you've created these little ridges everywhere, which you could, you could argue makes the boat slightly stiffer, but at the same time, you've created these stress risers that if you hit it really hard, you crack it. Yeah. More importantly, when you're going over a rock, you'd have a rock that would go, good luck. It would yeah, take it was... chunks of your boat off, you know? So there was a disadvantage as far as wear and tear was concerned from having these textures on the bottom of your boat, and we'd all but negated the advantage. Mm-hmm. And that was the point where well, we don't longer need these features. So it's not that they didn't work. They, they did work given the imperfection of the other things around at the time. Yeah, like you said, no free lunch. There's a trade-off. There's yeah. going to be a trade-off. They're going to work on certain circumstances, but then you get them out on like a, a creek boat of a, any type of creaking setting or even not even creek boat, just going over a rock. Yeah. It's a nightmare. Yeah. I paddled one. I remember the first time getting in like a, a disco and I'm like, Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> it was, whew. it was like, because at the time you got to think I was like in medievals or something. I was like in right, a slicey right, boat right. and there was like JB grubs was out there and like a disco. And I was like, wow, what is this thing? And he was just like throwing down. That's, that's where, you know, more aerial stuff started coming into play too. 
So that was definitely, you know, a cool, a cool little transition of the boating scene right there to another level. And then slicey boats just went out the door because then everybody wanted short volume poppy Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, well then the, but the slicey stuff came back. I mean, it did make a research. You had like the mid nineties, you know, you had, uh, you know, the Mr. Clean, and, or late 90s, you had the Mr. Clean, and, you know, we had the Slice, and we had the Trickster, uh, the Dominatrix. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, actually, no, the, the Disco came before the Trickster Dominatrix. So then we went to, yeah, we had, like, the, the, the Glide Slice. Then we did the, the 007, which was the short puppy boat. Oh, I remember and the 007. That thing was, it was tiny. It was basically a purse, bigger than you think. It's 7-2. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I guess it was <laughs> big. I just remember it being small for whatever reason. Right. Um, it's just everything else was 10 feet. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, that maybe that was what it was. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and the, 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 the seven actually wasn't a great boat. It was only good because it was the first of its kind. It was the first short boat with a planing hull. Um, and you could argue that it was a, it was a predecessor to the disco, which was really a refinement of the 007. And it yeah. made what we wanted the 007 to do actually do. Yeah. But then right after the disco, I did the trickster, which mm-hmm. was, a seven and a half foot full slice. And then after the dominatrix, which was a seven, two or seven, three super slice. Then I did the air, which was back to six feet, you know, yeah. six two or something like that, you know? So it, they went up and down. We, we would go short and poppy. Go, oh, I kind of miss throwing in. Did we go longer again? Oh, I kind of miss doing explosive stuff. Then we go short again, you know, and it yo-yoed for a while. Yeah, you got in big into the wave performance stuff too and got away from the little holes doing a million cartwheels. You would just, you were more into more wave like surfing stuff. So you went more that direction. I get it. That's how transitions happen. You know, everybody was still doing cartwheels and hole and you were out surfing massive waves. And I was like, wow, I wish we had something like that around here. (laughs) Because some of the waves, I was like, holy crap. And then it turns out you do have them. Like, you know, you've got like, you know, in Columbus, Georgia. Yeah. So these these waves are out there. And I don't know why, you know, there's the one in Tulsa, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. I mean, mean, they're not everywhere. And they're not in all the time. You've got them on the gold. You've got them on the nude. But you've got to have the right flows. And it's not there all the time. Never consistent. Yeah. Right. But they are there. And for whatever reason, I, I don't I don't know why paddlers didn't were they scared of them? I, I don't know. I don't know why, you know, because they were there, but nobody was going in them. Yeah. But then they also <laughs> would have appreciated how fun these cargy boats were, you know? Yeah. Um, or when they did go in, maybe they were just more interested in butt bouncing and getting big explosive airs and they just wanted to pan am all day long. I don't know. Um Yeah, the big aerial pan ams and flips and all that. Everybody got into that for a while too. That's true. Yeah, exactly. The butt bouncing, you know. But um anyway, we digress. Um, you know, um so but that's the main reason I I, I got away from these textures in the bottom of the boat. But if you look at the glide, I've gone back to the speed louvers which was something that I developed for the 007 and the showbiz, um, which is this release edge along the long axis of the boat. Um, so if you look at the hull, it's kind of hard to see it in the orange one, uh, but you can see it in the nose of the boat, but it's there in the, in the tail of the boat as well. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so yeah, just click on like maybe the, yeah, the black or the yellow, maybe, I don't know. But anyway, um, so what do no, you, that, you you calling back here? Can you see? No, on no, screen? I'm calling like the, you see that kind of edge that's the, right there. Yeah, that edge there. Yeah, so it's got a break step. right there. Yeah, there's a break right there in the boat. You can see it also in the booster. If you go to the booster, you can see it. I've got it in the back of the booster. 
Oh, um, it's, it's very pronounced in the booster. I was going to ask you about that because you can see it right here, how pronounced right. it is in the booster. You're calling those speed groovers? Speed louver. Speed louvers. Yeah. So I did that on the 007 and the showbiz. The Glide originally had it, but I moved away from it from the Glide for, for a different reason. And what that does is it's kind of like having your cake and eating it. Um, is it allows you to have a flatter waterline for speed, but then allows you to have a rocket rail for turning and carving. And it allows the back of the boats to sink down into the wave a little bit um, so that it does bring the nose up, but not so much that it sucks the back down and makes it slow. But then if you end up backwards in a feature and you're paddling backwards, you do have that rocker. If you're spinning on a wave, then rocker is there. So you don't catch the tail when you're yeah. backwards. You know, so it's, it's a little bit, you know, eating your cake and having it. Um, and it's not magic, but it does make a difference. And on the glide, I noticed it when I, when I put them on the glide uh, from the early prototypes. So the glide, we actually did two physical prototypes on. Yeah. Uh, over and above the 38 uh, uh, computer simulations. We did two prototypes. One didn't have the speed. Loop the sole glide, the current glide. Yeah, the current okay. glide, yeah. Okay. Um, and I didn't have the speed louvers. And then the second one did. And it was the only change to the rocker. Most of the changes to the glide were volume and it was volume of the deck. I took a lot of volume out of the bow deck and the stern deck on the, from the first to the second generation. Um, I realized that there was no point having all that volume up there to make it a class five river runner. It's seven, nine. Nobody's going class fighting in a seven, nine. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> I might as well take the volume out of the nose. It's got just enough volume to where it's a dry ride down class three, four but it's small enough to where you can blunt it and cartwheel it. And, you know, I can go into a hole and I can throw 15 ends in the glide. It's a little bouncy because it's not a super slice. It's bouncy on the nose, but it'll do it. You know? um, so that was something that I did for the second prototype. But the, the biggest, you know, performance change was those speed louvers. Uh-huh. And it was that little difference between you're on the wave, you're on the wave, you're on the wave, you're on the wave, ah, you're off the wave, and no, you're still on. You know, that uh, was the difference. What was the... Um... At one time, you experimented with the, what is it, the swallowtail back design? Mm-hmm. You experimented with that. Are you currently still experimenting with things? What, what was your reason for having that? That's, what was the boat that had it? I, I was trying to look at it. What was well, the, the techno name? was one of the right techno. That, that was it. That. Um, and there were some other boats in the market, I think, that, that had them. But the techno was the one that was the most, was the most radical. And that was a boat I designed with Arne Sheffline. So he'd already put that in, um, in the, the first version of the techno that he was working on with Eskimo. And then Eskimo decided they didn't want to build it, and he came over to Riot. But prior to the techno, I'd done a boat at Riot that never went to production called the Wave. And the Wave had a, a deep swallowtail in the back of the boat. And so this was uh, the era of butt bouncing, where people yep. were getting into butt bouncing. They wanted, they wanted to just... They wanted to uh, pop off the water flat. So they wanted to sit flat on the wave and bounce and just pop off the water. But then you lost all the speed when you were, when you were carving on edge. And so the idea of doing that was you created, you shortened the water line when the boat was sitting flat so it would butt bounce. Uh-huh. But then when you put it on rail, you increased the water line length so that it would carry speed through the carve. And it worked. It, yeah, you it, did it, it in the front and back. Well, yeah, because when you're back surfing, you want to <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I was like, holy crap. I forgot about this techno. It's, it's crazy. Looking at it by today's standards, how 
how aggressive that back and how that front, I remember the first time seeing that thing, I was like, what in the hell is that? I was like, wow, look at that front. It was a good boat. The Techno was a very, very good boat. Um, and, you know, uh, it's, it was a boat I paddled for a very long time. It was one of the boats, you know, I tend to move on very rapidly from boats because as a designer, you know, if you look at, for example, the history of the boats at, at Wright, for example, mm-hmm. um, I designed the hammer, I paddled the hammer. The day the hammer goes into production, I'm already working on the glide. You're, yeah. I'm on, I'm on to the next boat. I'm finished with the hammer. I'm done. It's in production now. I'm done with it. Yeah. I'm you can't sit around and keep paddling it all day and say, still yeah, a great you know, boat. Yeah. So yeah, it's a great boat. And I would paddle it if I was out creaking or if I was somewhere where the glide wasn't the right boat for it, I would paddle it. You know, the same thing, you know, the, the day the disco. Well, when uh, did you do this techno? When was that? Where was that techno in there? The techno came out the same year as the air, which would have been, hang on, Disco came, Disco was production uh, in, in the fall of 99. So we had, we had the first production boats at the World Championships in New Zealand, but I didn't paddle it because they wouldn't, they wouldn't score butt bounce moves. They, they refused to score those. So I got back in the glide. But that was an example of, you know, I'd already moved on from the glide by then, but I had to get yeah. back into it because they weren't going to score anything I did in the disco, um, unfortunately. So, and then the trickster was 2000, uh, in 2001, and the dominatrix was late 2001. So the air was 2002, and the, the techno was 2002. And is that, is that something you're wanting to revisit, that swallowtail design like that? Is that something that's still up there? Not really. Um, you, know, you, think it's, you, think it, it, you think it worked that well, or what, what's your opinion on it? Like, is it, it did work. It did work. Um, but it worked given what I was trying to accomplish at the time, which was a boat that would butt bounce into moves, um, but would carry speed on rail. But also you got to remember what the moves were. You know, the Techno was a boat that was designed to win freestyle competitions, which could be in a hole. So it was mm-hmm. slicey in the ends. It could be on a wave. It could be on a carvey wave. It could be on a bouncy wave. It could be on a wave hole. Um, so, you know, it, it, was, it was the boat of the time that was the equivalent of what an ICF freestyle boat is today. Yeah, okay. But you was- would never enter an ICF freestyle boat in competition today in a boat like that because what is scored and how scored, you know, there is no differentiation. The boats are so, sh- in order to get the points that you need, your boat has to be six feet and you're never going to make a six foot boat shot, uh, fast. You're never yeah. going to make a six foot boat cock. So there's no point of trying to get that rail length by adding three inches on each end of a boat that's six feet. You're not going to gain anything. Yeah. So that was what you, that's what you were trying to do is get a longer yeah. rail on the edge, which you, I mean, between the front and back, you probably add, you know, six, seven inches of yeah, exactly. rail about six, seven inches. on the, on yeah. the boat. Did uh, did water seem to come between them, though? Does water come through and come up between them and come around them? No, not really. But what would happen is you would, the boat would break. So right where you had that V, and then especially in the nose, you would constantly hit rocks, and eventually the boat cracked. And, you know, really, we could have rounded that off. It didn't have to be quite as sharp in that nose than the inner, the inner V, like where the 49 is. See where that 49 yeah. is on the red boat? Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, Basically in the center of the V. Um, oh, yeah. Right there, yeah. So the boat would crack in there if you hit it on rocks all the time. I could see um, that. 
so if you know if I had to redo it, I would do it differently so that it, you wouldn't have you know, and that's a manufacturing constraint, a reality of plastic and how plastic flows in a mold. Getting down in that V and those mm-hmm. points, getting is it well, it's naturally thing. a thin place, and you make yeah. plastic. Um, and then of course it's also a stress riser at the same time, so butts are gonna break. Yeah. Um, you know, so you know, I've put them on. Um, I didn't have a swallowtail on the Dragorossi Stinger, but I had wings, which kind of accomplished the yeah, same that sort was of another thing one. Um, on the Dragorossi Stinger. Um, and uh, there was a Dragorossi fish that did a little bit of where it had a fish tail, but it wasn't as dramatic or as deep as the, the Techno. Um, but these boats came out not long after the Techno. It was still that same kind of era, a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the Dragorossi fish was in 2004, 2005. Um, so, uh, and then you also had the Riot uh, Turbo, which had wings. And, you know, the idea is you're creating release when the boat's on rails. So you've got that long edge length. But now we were trying to go from bouncing flat into moves to bouncing on rail by putting the wings near the back. What, the what is that? What were you calling this? Can you see it on? Hold on. Can you see this? This is the, the stinger. That's the stinger. That's yeah. the stinger. So this one, instead of doing a swallowtail, what do you call this design? The way That's it's a designed. wing. It's a wing. So this is what you're calling the wing that you were just describing. It yeah. comes down and it breaks. For everyone listening, the, the Dragorossi stinger comes down with a, with a rail and then it goes abruptly in at probably a 45 degree angle. And then it's got a tip that comes out another six, seven inches right there. And so the idea there is that you would, you would get the bounce started flat on the boat and then you would then roll it onto the rail and to give it like this extra ramp, if you like, yeah. it would allow it to pre-release and explode into the air. Oh, that's the fish that you're looking at there now. And the fish had that swallowtail. Um, the fish was the year before the stinger. And that was still thinking a little bit like the turbo where we had the yeah. shorter edge length running flat but the longer edge length on rail. But as you can see, it's a lot less pronounced, and I was already moving away from. Yeah. Um, you, you know the, the. This one, this one looks way cleaner done than the techno. Like, like it, it looks like it's like like more efficient of a swallowtail. Am I correct on that? Well, it was less dramatic. It had less of it. There was a less dramatic change in the boat speed from being flat to being on edge, whereas uh, you know uh, with the the techno. It was very dramatic. It was very. Di- it was a different boat. When you were on rail, the techno, it was like you just changed boats. Yeah. Okay. Flat. okay. Whereas the fish remained the same boat. It just would just accelerate a little bit when you put it on rail. The problem with the fish was that it was so fast that it was very difficult to butt bounce, and butt bouncing was all the rage. And so it wasn't a particularly successful boat. Now I tried to accomplish that. I tried to get it to stall a little bit. If you looked at the bottom of the fish. There are these little cutaways in the hole, these little concaves in the hole yeah. of the boat. And I try to create something a little bit like the speed louvers where you would get, it's like, it's like kick rocker happening on a modern creek boat, kick rocker happening right behind your ass, you know, uh-huh. where the rocker changes, except that I didn't do that on a rail. I just did it on the planing surface so that it would suck down and bounce when it was flat. But when you put it on rail, it wouldn't do that. Um, you definitely yeah. went with a high back volume back here <laughs> on the fish. Well, we weren't squirting. You know, the idea wasn't to squirt. The idea was to stay in the hole. So yeah, exactly. All the volume in the center of the boat was so that it would stay in the hole. Yeah, so you can see there, like on each side of the fins, you see those concave cutaways. And the idea of those is... What were you calling those? 
create a low pressure area and it would make the back of the boat drop when you were flat, like a butt balancer. But when you put it on rail, it wouldn't do that and you would have the speed. So it wasn't just making the edge longer like the techno did. It was also creating a stall. So you would be on rail, generate the speed, flatten the boat, it would stall and then explode into the air. But the skill set required to do that was beyond the ability of 99% of paddlers. And so yeah. commercially, it wasn't a very successful boat. What were, the, what were the fins helping with? The fins on the rails right there. What did they help with? Drive so that you could, you could really... So you could really tell the difference between the boat's speed when you were flat versus on edge because, like I said earlier, hard edges don't help a boat carve. In fact, they make the boat slip. They make it slippery. And unless you're very aggressively on edge, a hard edge is going to make the boat slide free. So putting the fin there would stop it from sliding free. When you were it on would rail. help load you up on higher on the wave? Was that the... Well, no, it would just hold. It would just create edge hold because... As soon as you are flat, it would just slip, slip sideways. And even if you're rolled a little bit on edge, the boat wants to slip sideways and naturally wants to break free and slip sideways. And so those fins would help it stay so that you could drive across the wave. Again, the problem there is that you're assuming that people have access to a wave that has space to move on. If your yeah. wave's only three feet wide or four feet wide, where those were useless. Yeah, they, they, I remember seeing them and I, I was the same way back then. I was a little, you know, I didn't really understand waves or anything back then. And I was like, why in the hell would I need a fin for? <laughs> yeah, because the wave I was surfing was, you know, four feet high and I was just carving back and forth with them. But on big, massive waves, you're saying that's where they really start opening up. Yeah, because it allowed you, and again, it was, it was compensating for the edge and rocker shapes not being what they are now. Just the access... You know, it's hard to overstate how much uh, of a difference it made. Two things for me in my career. When I moved to California in 2010, so, I mean, I started shaping surfboards on a regular basis in about 2006, 2007. And in 2010, when I moved to California, um, after selling my my paddleboard company, um, you know, you're generally turning out these surf shapes and every single surfboard you do is a prototype. Yeah. Basically everyone is done and you do thousands of these things. And so you move things around an eighth of an inch and the board is different and you learn this stuff. And so the, and they're all designed on computer. So I was designing them on computer and then generating a board. And then I would do another one where you'd move, you know, you move the rocker back at, you know, uh, an inch or you would narrow the tail by an eighth of an inch, or you would widen it, or you would move the white point forward one or two inches. And the board, the way it handled, was totally different. It was, like, it was a completely different board. And so I learned a massive amount in the, the sort of the five, six year period that I was in California doing all these different surf shapes, um, both about how to understand how to use the computer programs. And secondly, how big of a difference it makes to move these little, little things around. And once I, hang on. Yeah. And um, my, my, my eight-year-old wants mm. junk. Yeah. Um, and, and this was, uh, this was when you were doing the Imagine boards or the Addison? Yeah. Board? Well, Imagine initially. So the Imagine boards here in Montreal, and then I sold it to um, a company in California. And then after but you uh, stayed no, working. I, you stayed working for them. Right. So I worked for Imagine for two years, which was part of the contract, part of the sale. And then when I left Imagine, after that, I then started Corin Sup. And then mm-hmm. again, so with Corin Sup, I, I did the same thing there. Um, and then I sold Corin Sup to uh, to Riot. Actually, they they bought Corin Sup, and that's when I started Soul. Um, 
so you know both learning the computer programs and also learning how much difference it makes when you make the tiniest little change to uh all these different boats and you go from spending you know when you're when you're hand shaping a glide and it takes you two years to do 13 boats which was the most extreme version of what i ever did yeah um to turning out 10 designs in one day oh wow <laughs> when you're shaping boards i take it you didn't sleep much then <laughs> I don't <see> that, no. <laughs> um, you know so what you never learned for example that allowed me to do the custom process that we have now you know yeah. just the, the the technical part of being able to build the custom boat is only half the equation you also need to be able to design a boat without making a prototype yeah because a customer is buying a two and a half thousand dollar boat from you there is no prototype you have a conversation you figure out what is this like you're building a surfboard for somebody you figure out what it is they want where they're going to go what their skill set is the kind of waves they're going to be surfing or the kind of rivers they're going to be running and then you design the boat based on your accumulative experience. <clears throat> you email the CAD file to the factory yeah. and they build the boat. And this guy Now, are you still offering this? Do you yeah, still yeah, offer this? Yeah, yeah, yeah for yeah. people listening that, that just so people understand what you're talking about, this is um, a service that you offer. Say I want a custom boat for me and I'm like, I want it to do this, this, and this. I would contact you and you would actually design and make a composite version of my, my vision. And right. working with you, and it would be a kind of a one one off design that no one else is. I didn't know if you were still doing that. Yeah. The uh, yeah. you do that so, with and, so. And the difference is, it's not like taking a fiberglass mold, making a boat out of it, and then cutting the seam or cutting the ends off or pinching it or shifting the deck. It's not that at all. It's a completely new boat from the ground up. Exactly. I mean, obviously, you get people who go, hey, I have an Axiom, and I really love the Axiom, but I just wish it had a little bit more bow rocker, a little bit more knee room. Can you do that? Well, yeah, I can do that. But why? Any plastic boat is a compromise. You're trying to make a boat that's going to address the widest body range mm-hmm. and the widest skill set range in the widest river conditions range as possible within a given design parameter. When you custom design a boat for anybody, you don't care about any of that. The only person this boat has to work for is you, your body size, your skill size, your skill set, and where you paddle. And we don't care if it works for anybody else ever anywhere. Yeah. Which is it's like a, well, that's, that's how they do squirt boats, correct? So if I no, want- No, squirt boats are out of the mold. No, squirt boat is out of the mold. I thought I, thought I would- Oh, okay. Cutting volume to match you, it might shift the deck on the hole a little bit, given your you got bigger feet or longer legs or shorter legs or bigger long torso. But it's out of a mold, and then it gets they, then they, it they gets custom, adjusted to the me. volume. Yeah, right. What I'm talking about is the entire boat from the ground up is designed from scratch. So, so do you CNC that and then pull a plug off of it? How do you do it? Like, well, no, we CNC. We go straight to mold. So what we do is we do the design. We CNC a female mold out of, it's kind of a foam material. Yeah. It's not foam, but it's kind of a foam material. We then laminate the boat inside this one piece. There's no seam on the boat. So that's proprietary okay. information. We laminate this boat one piece, and then we literally break the mold off of the boat. Okay. You, can't, you couldn't make a second one if you wanted to. We they, break it off so the boat. So they break the mold. Break the mold when they make it. Break the mold, yeah. So if you want a second one, we have to CNC a new mold. The whole the thing over again. The whole process has to go through again. Well, you might use the same CAD file. And yeah. I've had people go, 
hey, you know, they, they, I made a boat for them and their friend tried it and their friend really loved it, but they're 30 pounds lighter. And so we will take that boat and we will adjust it for their weight and they make the same boat type, you know. So, you know, I've done stuff like that where I want exactly what my friends got, but I'm, I'm just a little bit lighter than that. Yeah. You really tell me you paddle exactly like your friend? I, I love that photo. Okay, fine. <laughs> You're like, okay, all right. Well, man, how many, you know, I know you, you might have close to a thousand designs under your belt. Is there any one design that pops out to you as one of your like most prized baby or possession? You know, I know that's a hard question to answer because you've, you've got more than probably anyone I know in the industry, as far as like personal top designs. I know there's, there's other people that help out a lot too, but is, is there something that you're like, this one right here was, uh, is my proudest moment. What is that one? I know it's like, which one's your favorite kid? Yeah, yeah. You know, well, I guess it depends on what the focus is on the question, because you could say, which was my most successful boat, or which was the most groundbreaking boat, or which was the boat that I put the most love and effort to, you know? So what was the most groundbreaking boat? You'd probably say the Fury. The Fury completely changed. The Savage Adelaide. Fury, yeah. Because it was the first planing hold boat ever designed for a river, you know? It was the first boat that would spin on a green wave. Nobody had ever done that, you know? Um, you know, and that went through six prototypes, um, which again, back in the day, that was a lot of prototyping for, for a boat, you know, my most successful design was either the Corsica S, uh, perception commercially that sold the most or the booster. Um, wow. Look at that thing. Look at that back. That's (laughs) kind of like a wing, right? Well, that was because it had side cuts. So that I was really getting into snowboarding and it had side cut. The idea was that the boat would, you know, turn um, with a, having negative, you know, a negative outline, um, you know, would turn like a, a, a snowboard on the water. There's the those water. dimples. That, has to let the, that was the first boat with the dimples. The hammer then also had the dimples. Um, and the showbiz had dimples. And then I started to move away from the fish, had a little bit of dimples on the bottom, but, but not as much, you know? Yeah. So, um, so a short answer would be, you know, the, the Fury. That's well, what I'm probably The Fury was the most groundbreaking boat I've, I've it ever It definitely done. was when I seen it. I was like, what in the hell is this thing? Yeah, you know, well, Bob McDonough. So one day, you know how Bob McDonough is? He was a session. He did the overflow. And I think he's with Old action. Town now. He works for Old Town. Doing yeah, you know, very, out. very, very good paddler, very accomplished designer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Bob McDonough, he's a legend guy, you know. Um, and uh, I showed up at the uh, Koei. Uh, K4 was making a video. I mm-hmm. think it was the video that he was making about the 1993, was it 1993 Worlds? Um, or maybe it was, no, maybe it was off. The, anyway, because when I started working on the Fury in, yeah, it would have been about 93 is when I started working on the Fury. Uh, the 93, I was, I, was in the, I was in the hurricane, so 94. So it wasn't the, it wasn't the, the pre-Worlds. I don't know why, but anyway, we were at the Akoi. Was this Savage's first boat? Was this boat first no, boat? We, no, no, we did the Scorpion. So in 94. Scorpion was the first one. The Scorpion and the Gravity in 94. And then, but I was already working on the Fury okay. um, by the end of 94. Again, the same thing. It's like by the time the Scorpion hit the market, I was already on to the yeah. next thing. Um, so well, maybe 95. Anyway, um, and so uh, actually it was 95. It was 95 when I had this Fury and, I, and I, I pulled it out of the back of my truck and I put it on the ground. And immediately there was this group of people that kind of accumulated around the boat. They looked this purple. It was this purple prototype that had the side cut. It was a radical departure from the early Furies 
which mm-hmm. looked a little bit like the Whippet, if you like. And it kind of okay. had a steady planing hold, the sound of the Fury 2. It was the boat that was used in, um, in Paddle Quest and, and the boat that I competed in at the 95 Worlds. Uh, and um, so I don't know if there's photos of the Fury 2 in, in some of these images. but I was just looking um, at the Scorpion next to the Fury. The drastic go, yeah. transition between those two is amazing. That's yeah, drastic. I mean, a planing hold boat and a displacement boat, a displacement boat based on slalom concepts versus a planing hold boat based on snowboarding. Um, so anyway, Bob Madonna walks up and he looks at this boat and he just shakes his head and he goes, but this isn't even a kayak anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's basically you know, a snowboard you're sitting in. Right. And, and I get where he's coming from at the time. I just scoffed at him and I was like, you've got no vision, you know, but I, I totally now, I totally get what he was getting at, which is what was a kayak? A kayak was nine, 10 feet. It was tube. round. Just it was, tube. it was the super sport. It was the hurricane. It mm-hmm. was the scorpion. It was the transition. It was the piranha master bat or whatever it was called, you know, a, Acrobat. a magic bat. Yeah. Or, or no, a magic bat, magic bat. Okay. No, the volume in the center, the slicey ends, the, the narrowest point of the boat is in the middle. The widest point of the boat is in the center. It goes back. It's got a round bottom. It's a kayak. It's what someone from 19, 19- 30 would recognize mm-hmm. as a kayak, which is what we were still paddling in, yeah. in, in, in 1994. Okay. And so correct. This isn't even a kayak anymore based on your criteria of what a kayak should look like, which is an evolved version of a dancer, shorter, more volume in the middle, less yeah. volume in the ends, but a dancer nonetheless, you know, um, and, you know, which is what the super sport, the hurricane and, you know, all these other boats were. So, yeah, sure. He was right. This isn't even a kayak anymore by what we defined a kayak at the time. Now, of course, the Fury is exactly what kayaks are. You know, nobody designs a, a playboat that doesn't have a planing hole. Yeah. I mean, there were things on it that didn't work. You know, the side cut, the, the, you know, the, it, it, it just, it was okay. It didn't, it wasn't great. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but again, the prototyping process, it was so long and cumbersome the boat worked. And part of the side cut thing, it wasn't just the carving, it was having the width in the ends. So you had the support in the ends to help it get on a plane so it didn't bog down in a wave and to break free and spin on a green wave. And so by ha- increasing surface area away from where the paddle was, I was trying to get it to plane. And initially I had it straight, but then it didn't turn very well because the ends were so wide and they had no curve to the outline. And I didn't want to narrow the ends in order to get that curve to the outline. Which is where the scorpion was. The scorpion was more traditional. Yeah, exactly. And so I was like, hey, why don't I do like a snowboard? And why don't I make it carved from the middle of the boat by narrowing the center and then allowing it to turn along its neck, which works, but it would only carve a given radius. Mm. When you have a positive outline, you can adjust the radius by how much you lean the boat and how much forward weight or back weight you put on the boat, depending on how much of the outline you engage. On the Fury, you only had the radius from the widest point of the nose to the widest point of the tail. That was your carving radius. And you could have changed it a little bit for the amount of edge you gave it, but not much. So it took a certain size wave to make the Fury carve a turn. Otherwise, you have to turn it flat. So it didn't really work. 
in the carving sense of things, but it did accomplish what I was trying to do, which is make the boats in. So yeah, well, I know it was pain. Get, it was painful for me to sit in. It was painful for everybody to sit. Nobody <laughs> thought that boat was comfortable. My God, it was, it was so painful. Um, I would like to see something like that. You know, again, I didn't know if that was something else you had thought about. You know, maybe experiment, but obviously make it where people can fit in it. Yeah, you know, the Fury, I started working on a new Fury uh, about three years ago, four years ago, and, and I sort of threw it out there. Um, but the thing is, the Fury is it was such a groundbreaking boat. It was so revolutionary. It changed the entire sport of kayaking. After the Fury, nobody ever did another displacement hold playbook. It- just, I mean, they, they might be hybrid. A lot of people experimented with hybrid displacement. For a year you know, or two. Yeah. yeah. And For then a year but, or two. That's true. Everybody just said, they just threw out displacement and just like went flake. Right. Especially so when it's the kinetic, The whippets, you know, the whippet, whiplash, the kinetic. Uh, I think the blade, the razor and the blade from Piranha, they had the planing hole in the center and the displacement ends in the boat. Mm-hmm. So there was like a year or two period where people were trying to get their heads around what makes a planing boat work and why, why to do it. You know, what, 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 you know, a lot of them were like, Oh, well, he's put edges on the boat. I suppose we should put an edge on the boat, but we don't understand why. So here's an edge. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It'll work. Yeah. You know, um, and, um, you know, Mark Lyle was one of the first people to get it, you know, with the vertigo. He, he understood it. You know, he looked at the fury and he, he got it. And the vertigo was a more market adapted. Yeah. Boat than the Fury, it, it, it gave everybody access to a planing hold boat. Yeah. Because, uh, uh, and of course, Savage, Savage was in North Carolina for a lot of people, Savage Kayaks. What part, was it in Asheville? It was in Asheville, yeah, we were in Asheville, North Carolina, yes. Yeah, so. Did you have your own manufacturing and everything, an oven and everything? We did eventually. So we started off making the boats at Hydra. Uh, the, in the, Knoxville, the, Tennessee. Yeah, in Knoxville. Yeah, Hydra made. Kayaks, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then New Wave. So New Wave got an oven. They bought Infinity, and they had the um, they bought the Infinity Quantum, and then they did the sleek and the cruise control. And they had mm-hmm. this oven, and they had molding time. This was in Asheville. No, they were up in, uh, in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Were, New okay. Wave was, I was in. Uh, I forget where in Pennsylvania. But you were so, so you were subcontracting out yeah. the yeah. the the Fury, and the 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 Scorpion. No, not the Fury. No, no, not the Fury. We, we subcontracted the Scorpion and, and gravity. The, the first production run of the Gravity to, to New Wave. Okay. Um, and then we purchased an old oven from Hydra. Was a clamshell. A of a bigger company. And we bought, no, it was a, it was a, a shuttle. Instant. This thing was this huge mogulet. It was this giant, giant, giant oven. Um, for people listening, Hydra had a couple of boats, the Dragonfly and Dragonfly Two. I think that's all they did. I, I don't know. No, who they Hydra. Hydra made the uh, the Tom Johnson. Um, uh, uh, no, no, not the the, the Don McLaren um, Matador. This Mustang. was a whitewater boat. It was a whitewater boat. They did the Tom Johnson Centaur. Sounds uh, like a restaurant. Which was a C one. And wow. they did a C two, and then they did the Dragonfly, um, which was a sort of a dancer, not yeah. off, you know, Mirage dancer type boat, right? Um, uh, and then they kind of they just stopped. never took off for whatever reason. I would see them. I lived in Knoxville at the time, and it was funny. I'd kind of see them around, but yeah, they just yeah. never took off. I had no idea that that you'd kind of like were getting them molded there. But you only did that just a short amount of time. Oh, like a month and a half or two months. It was very, very short. Then sent them to New Wave. 
Yeah, well, then at that point, New Wave bought an oven, and the quality was, yeah, they would only make us linear boats, and at the time, Crosslink was the better material, and New Wave yeah. was making Crosslink, so we went to New Wave, but then we bought from the parent company of Hydro, we bought this old oven that was kind of like Reception's oven, their very first oven, Old Faithful, and it was what it was called, and then they had their new oven when I went to Perception called Enterprise, which was- uh, uh, It's, it's okay. still there. It's still yeah. there. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I don't know if Old Faithful is still around, but anyway, so this thing was that Savage board was a horrible oven. It was absolutely terrible. Um, but we started molding the Fury ourselves. The Fury was never molded out of house. It was already oh, okay. molded in-house um, uh, at, at Savage. Um, and then shortly after that, I, I ended up leaving Savage and I started Riot. Yeah. Um, Riot by far, definitely. I mean, yeah, that that one changed a lot. You know, I've seen I've seen a lot of Riot designs that I was just like, wow, because they were very, I guess, more worldwide. Riot grew. I mean, you never really know because everybody lies about their figures. But I think that by about uh, two thousand, so when the Glide came out, um, I mean, we sold we pre-sold eighteen hundred Glides. Pre-sold. Pre-sold. Wow. 1,800 glides. You know, I mean, why would a kayak was a different sport back then? Now, if you sell a 1,000 boats total in the <clears> lifetime <throat> of the boat, you, you won. Great. <laughs> you won. You, know, you won the lottery. Back then, we pre-sold 1,800 glides. Is- and the same year, pre-sold like 800 showbiz, you know. The showbiz um, was the, that was one of the first attempts at kind of a budget-friendly boat. I think it came in at like six ninety nine or something with a Yeah, it was six ninety nine because boats by then were $1,000. And that was seen so, crazy to everybody. And I remember the showbiz, I said, see, that's what Dagger needs to start doing. We got to stay in the market because it had a drop seat, just molded it in and you would foam it out. I was like, actually, it's a pretty solid design boat too. It was kind of the first half slice. It really um, was, yeah. Actually, well, that's not true. That's not true. The sleek, the sleek was a, was a hot slice. Okay, the, the the Jimmy Snyder sleek was a hot slice, slice for, for sure. But it, it, it was took long. us in the direction of the new of a planing hold hot slice <clears throat> because you could squirt the stern not easily, but you could squirt the stern. Mm. But it had volume in the bow. Um, it was a, sort of this playful river runner. It was based on the glide, so it had the performance hull of the glide, but it was shorter. It had more bow volume in the glide. It was shorter than the glide. You could, you, you could, with the, the show bears, which then became a superstar when you put fancier outfitting in it, you could win a rodeo on Sunday and go creaking on Monday in the same boat. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to pull it up here. We hadn't quick. seen that, that, that since the hurricane days. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was like, when I seen it, you can see how it's just got like a, a molded in drop seat and you just throw some hip pads and a foam in it. It's got a bulkhead and you're good. And it yeah. is more, it is definitely more like an older style like half slice yeah it was uh it was about seven uh about seven six or seven eight so it was just a little bit shorter than the glide and it had you know so those are those speed limits you can see that boat they had four speed louvers on each end with the glide now the modern glide only has the one but you can see those steps and the idea was to break break down the water because it had more rocker than the glide so that you could creak it um but then it made it slower on a wave. And so we tried to, you know, yeah. we learned from the 007 that it had those speed lures and we tried to, you know, again, you always got to remember the time. Prototyping was a laborious <laughs> process. Yeah. When you got something wrong, um, you had a lot of time and money invested in getting it wrong. That you have um, to redo the whole process over again. Yeah, you know, so, um, and that was a time when experiment, experimenting was everything. If you didn't revolutionize the sport every six months, you were nowhere. 
EJ made a great comment. EJ made a fantastic comment. Um, this was the 1992 Worlds in Spain. Uh, 1991, 1991. No, 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 no. 1999 Worlds in Spain. Okay. And, uh, oh, hang on a second. 99 was... EJ was probably in an RPM then. No, 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 no. 99, <laughs> 99 was, was New Zealand, 2001. Yeah. So 2000, 2001 was, was sought in Spain. So it was either 2000 or 2001. I think it was 2001. EJ and I um, decided to drive over to uh, SEO where we had the 1992 Olympics because we both competed in the Olympic Games in 1992. So it was, it was 2001 because it was exactly 10 years. Okay? Yeah. And we, we, we pulled up and we got out and the people who were paddling slalom were in the same boats that they had been in when EJ and I were competing in slalom in 1992. It wow. was still four meters long. No change. There was no change. There was <clears throat> slight, the, the boats had changed a little bit in their like, little details of the shape. It was still four meters long. There was still 60 centimeters wide. You were still making the skill set that you used. You were still turning low in the eddies. It's not like when the rule change happened in, 90, in 2005, when they went to three and a half meters, that all of a sudden the fastest way down the course was a straight line between two points where everybody yeah. just sprinted to the gate, stuffed the gate, pivoted, sprinted to the next gate. They were still doing these long Richard Fox style eddy turns moving around the river. And this was a time when in freestyle, boats were changing radically every six months. If you were in a boat that was six months old, yeah. you were in old technology. <laughs> you're behind the times. <laughs> you're behind the times. And EJ said, imagine this. I could get in, if I was as fit now as I was in 1992, I could take my boat from 1992 with a skill set from 1992 and be competitive in this race this weekend. If you're in a freestyle boat that's six months old with a skill set that's six months old, you're nowhere. Hmm. Now that's, it's, it's, it's flopped over. It's the exact opposite. Yeah, <laughs> freestyle boats and, and t- skills haven't changed in, in the decade. No, you could get a jitsu, a disco, a riot, uh, or I mean a rock star, and and be competitive with. You'd if be you got competitive. The yeah, the, the five is the better boat, but you would be competitive. Exactly. you would still be. You wouldn't be blown out of the water. Right. Whereas if you got into a slalom boat now that was ten years old, the skill set that's ten years old, you're nowhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're you're struggling. You're on the struggle bus. Well, yeah, man. Yeah, um, yeah, I've got one more question with, for you, and it's the the looking glass Batman, flying Batman. I gotta ask this: What was your thought process? What boat were you in, and what was your thought process of running Looking Glass Falls, wearing a Batman? Was it was it a helmet? Did you just glue? No, glue no, it was, a, it was a full helmet. The helmet that I designed, uh, um, you know, <laughs> on my free time in the R and D shop at Perception, I decided it's you know, one of the most iconic pictures that come out. Yeah, <laughs> and um, you know, I, I you know, I was eighteen or nineteen. I was nineteen, and and uh, uh, I decided that uh, I wanted to make myself a Batman helmet. And the idea was squirt boating, you know. So you had Jesse Whittemore with, yeah. the, with you know, with, with uh, his Darth Vader helmet, and yeah, you had I, you um, down Jeff curve. Snyder with his fireman helmets and, you know, and then, you know, a lot of the scoreboarders were wearing the old Nazi helmets and stuff like that. So these glitter fancy helmets was kind of a thing in scoreboarding. And, and I was getting into scoreboarding a little bit. And I was also at that point working on the first hybrid scoreboards, i.e. volume in the center and, and cutaway ends. I did yeah. a perception called the blackouts. So you yeah. laid up your own helmet in a Batman. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> that was something so, you wore. Okay. Yeah, I, I just want to get to the part where you looked at that and you were like, I think you, what boat were you in? 
it was a prototype boat that I was working on. So, you know, again, it was the times of, of you know, progression was very slow. It was a hard sell to get perception to do the Corsica. It was a very hard sell. I really had to push hard for that boat. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the features on it, like the big cockpit, you, you, you cannot imagine how hard it was just to get a keyhole cockpit. The large keyhole, because at the time yeah. they were very tiny. They were very tiny cockpits. Yeah. It was such a fight, you know, and the whole safety angle was a no-go because they couldn't, the management couldn't get their head around people are running stuff where you would ever require this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and two things happened at, uh, that, that came into the, just to you know, go off on a tangent a little bit. Two things happened. Somebody died in a dancer on the Nantahela where they got pinned in their boats, no fault of perceptions at all, but they got pinned in their boats because they got stuck in a conveyor belt that had been dumped into the, in the Nantahela River by a constructor. And the boat got stuck in this conveyor belt and out in the middle of the river. And by the time they got him out of the boat, he was dead. And the family sued perception. And the argument was that if the cockpit had been bigger, he'd been able to get out of the boat. So perception is facing this lawsuit. The other thing is Bill Masters, who was the owner of perception, was getting older and his knees weren't working very well. And he was having a hard time getting in and out of the dancer. And I convinced him that it would be easier for him and his old friends to get in and out of the boats more comfortably if it had a big cockpit. Like an oval. It used to be a complete circle almost. Almost, yeah. Like the dance yeah. cockpit was almost, it was slightly, it was like an egg, you know? Yeah. Whereas, you know, whereas the Corsican cockpit was much more of a, a, a literally a keyhole, you know? Uh, yeah. Um, you know? Um, so anyway, so just in, in like blunt ends, like the, the kick walker, the nose of the Corsica with the, and by today it's pointy, but at the time that was a blunt end. Yeah. <laughs> it was a huge fight you yeah. know, to, to, to get those. So how did that get to the waterfall? So I was working on a boat in my free time. I, I wanted to show Bill that, that um, I could do something really, truly unique and groundbreaking left my own devices. Okay. And so my free time, I would go in there at night. Um, and I was working on this boat and I built a, they wouldn't give me any oven time. Um, and so I basically built a plug, made a mold and built a Kevlar boat out of this mold. Okay. I wanted to show Bill and it had like the beginnings of a planing hull. Yeah. It was very, very flat, but it still had round, rounder than like the whippet, but, but it was, it was already like about seven and a half feet. No, 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 no. It was long. No, no. By today's standards, it was long. It was probably 10 and a half feet. 10 and a half feet. Okay. Um, but the Corsica, no, the Corsica was 10-4 because it was, Bill settled on 10-4. Originally, I had it at 10. He was like, no, no, make it 10-4 because my generation, we understand 10-4, buddy. You know? Yeah. It's, I, was like, I can't wait. He added two <laughs> inches. You know? And he wanted the ends more pointy. So if I added the yeah. two inches, the ends got a little bit pointier. You know? Back, you got to remember the day, you want to make a boat longer. You didn't scale up your cat file. You slap Bondo on the end. Yeah, you just, you glued it on there. Yeah. Right, yeah. So, um so no, so it was probably then about nine eight or, or or nine seven or somewhere around there. So it was a little bit shorter than the course. This boat, company. this boat doesn't have a name, by the way. No, never, never became anything. No, no. Um, but it had it had the hung seat like the showbiz. Okay, a drop in molded in. It seat. had the drop seat because yeah. the prices of the boats were already starting to go up, and I thought it would be a good idea to to to, to try this. But I wasn't so much thinking as a price. I was thinking structure. I was thinking if you had this drop seat in a boat that had the full back, you were mm-hmm. creating this structure in the boat 
Um, because back then, remember, it was foam walls that went into a seat, and the boats would always fold. Everybody was worried about their boat folding on them. They were, right, the boats right, were going right. to fold so up. It ended up not being the right direction to go, but anyway, so it's, it's what I did with a particular boat. And then um, the reason why I didn't take it, because uh, we had the Corsica S prototype by then. Um, and, or no, maybe the Corsica S came from this boat. I forget. Maybe it evolved from this boat and I had the Corsica. Yeah. Anyway, I was concerned. I wasn't worried about my back, but I was worried about the boat folding and breaking my legs. On folding on impact. Yeah. Okay. Remember, boofing, we just invented the boof. <clears throat> yeah, boofing. everybody everybody used to just go off things and hang their hands back like that. Yeah. <laughs> you just invented the boof. boof oh, like and you, you had a good boof. You had a good yeah, I had a good booth, you know. <laughs> so booth's two years old, and you do everything with the booth. The booth yeah. is the answer to all problems. You booth it, you know. Yeah, just just booth it. You're fine. <laughs> yeah, and we didn't know. We just didn't know how high you could booth. We didn't know what the body could take. I mean, now you're like, well, duh. But yeah, <laughs> you know, at the time, you know, I think the high, the highest waterfall, you know, that people were running was about thirty feet. You know, at the time, mm-hmm. uh, thirty. And you're you're right. A lot of they would just paddle really fast. Just paddle really fast and hang on, but yeah, you, know. you you started experimenting catching boots. Well, no, 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 it wasn't me. No, other people were playing at the booths. Other people were. were yeah, were, I didn't invent the booths, um, but definitely I was part of that group that was sort of experimenting with that with that kind of technique. Um, but by the time I ran Looking Glass Falls, we had perfected the booth. We, as an industry, had mm-hmm. perfected the booth, and it was the the go to answer for all problems related to creeks was you booth it right, including seventy feet. Including, including 70-foot waterfalls. Um, and I had started running bigger and bigger waterfalls by then. I was playing around. By the time I ran Looking Glass, I'd already run Bald, uh, Bald River Falls. It's mm-hmm. a trip to the Eagle, uh, to, uh, to, to the Teleco. Um, but you also ran one in South Africa, like, right? I ran a big one in South Africa, yeah. or two big ones in South Africa. Um, I run but you, you didn't boof those. No, those were pre <laughs> Okay, <laughs> that's what those I was saying. Those were really fast and drop off. And I hope you I, go I just always wanted to ask you that because, I mean, I get it at the time. I was just wondering your thought process, walking up to the drop, looking at it, being like, I'm just going to carry a big fatty booth right off the lip. Right, and that's what it was. I looked at it and I was like, oh, look, the perfect waterfall. It's a perfect takeoff. <laughs> it's vertical. And the pool's not very deep. It's only five feet deep, but that's okay. I'll boost it. Just boom. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Did you, did you get injured doing this? Did you get in? Did the boat fold on you? No, but it broke it. It cracked it. The boat from the back deck all the way behind the cockpit, it cracked and went all the way around. Now, if I had been in a plastic boat and it had folded, it might've saved my back. Yeah, because I didn't know this. I didn't know it was uh, Kevlar because that Kevlar, that energy just went straight into you. Right. If it would have been plastic, it would absorb it like a crumple zone almost. Wow, exactly. because obviously, exactly. obviously, I, I see the picture, and the picture's looking halfway, and everybody looks at that, and I'm like, oh, God, I'm just grabbing my back every time I see that picture, yeah. but I mean, if it, I always wondered how the landing was. Were you, Painful. did you, did you break your back? Was it a broken yeah. back? Yeah, I broke it, yeah. I was in traction for three months. Oh, wow. Um, in wow. the hospital for three months, and they told me I would probably, I would walk, but not well. I would never run, and I would certainly never paddle again. Whew. Well, you proved them wrong. <laughs> Well, all right, man. I don't, um, we're going on, you know, over an hour and a half. I definitely appreciate you coming on, dude. And, um, is there anything else you want to add or, um, no, I mean, I guess just getting back to the original point of the whole thing was, um, you know, uh, um, which was, 
you know, our creek boats, the best thing to be putting you know, beginners in um, and intermediate paddlers in. And I think if we go back to that point, I think we as an industry need to learn from the mistakes that we made in the past. Mm -hmm. The mistake we made in the past was we put everybody in a playboat and it didn't serve paddling okay. overall, big picture. And I think we're making the same mistake again on the opposite end of the spectrum. We swung the entire, the, the exact opposite. And there was a brief period in time when we were putting beginners in the right boat. Yeah. which were playful river runners. And uh, my opinion is that I think we will get more people into the sport if the boats that they're in are uh, uh, allow them to enjoy the paddling experience more because the creek boats Agreed. don't allow that unless you push yourself. And not everybody wants to do that. And if we put people in boats that are going to make class two exciting and fun and rewarding, rewarding, and the learning curve rewarding without being scary or intimidating, yeah. I think we will see more people stick with it. And I think we'll see more people talk their friends into it. Awesome. I definitely agree with that. Well, man, um, so, so if people want to get a hold of you, you have your store, it's Gravity, right? The name of your yeah, store? Yeah, Gravity Sports uh, in Montreal. Otherwise, it's soulwaterman.com. I'm there as well. There you go. Well, dude, I definitely appreciate you. I won't keep up any more of your time. Um, thanks a lot for taking the time and coming on and and chatting away. I could always talk to Corin. You know, you got tons of stuff. <laughs> well, and, and I can always talk to you. I, I, I listen to Southern accent. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I tell you what, we'll definitely, uh, we could do this again sometime. Let's see what's happening. But yeah, Corin, thanks a lot. And um, I appreciate you, dude. And um, that's it. That's a wrap, man. We'll see you. Cool, man. You have a good one. All right. See you, man.